We are going to continue our series today, and today we're going to focus on the next phrase in the Lord's Prayer, which is our daily bread. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You know, I don't know about you guys, maybe you're super high capacity. I know that there's people like that. Like there's people who, when you look at their lives, you're like, I have no idea how they get done, the stuff that they get done, and then they still have energy emotionally to go and hang out with people and host people. Does anybody look at other people and you say, like, what are you doing? Because that's, I've, I've never felt that way. I've never felt really high capacity. Um, I have a long list, and I don't just mean emotionally. I mean, I've never felt high capacity in any area of my life. Um, matter of fact, I have a long list of injuries and mistakes that point to my inability to be self-aware of what I'm unable to do. Um, matter of fact, I remember a couple years ago when I tore my first MCL, um, I was working out at the gym and we had on 50 pound vests and I was like, I said to my friend Louie, I said, I'm gonna do a pistol right now, which is like a one-legged squat. Now, mind you, I can't do a pistol without a 50 pound vest, but I was feeling kind of spry that day. Well, apparently my MCL did not agree as it popped. You know, the first time I hurt my back was when I was in seventh grade and we were in gym class and we were being introduced to the weight room, right? And this is the squat machine. And so what do you think you do when you're in seventh grade and you're five foot three? You say, bet I could squat that whole rack. Bet I could crack my back too. A couple years ago, I um, broke my iPhone in a fit of rage when I slammed it down on the table. And I went to ifixit.com and I said, I can fix this. I did not fix it. I made it worse, and then I had to buy a new one. Parenting, we're just gonna, you guys can go back and find the sermon where I kicked a hole in my tub. Pastoring, you guys are here every week. Um, I'm very much aware of my inabilities. I've never been the most athletic, the most skilled, the most competent, and on and on and on. Now, I'm not putting myself down. I'm very happy with who God made me to be, but as I get older, the delusions of my awesomeness continually get chipped away and chipped away. Can anybody relate to that? I'm glad at least some of you guys. The other half of you are completely still ignorant, okay? And I'm gonna give you a couple examples. Maybe you're the kind of person who's totally aware of your needs and you think you got this thing figured out. There was an article that I read this week that they said 50% of men are pretty, no, not pretty sure. I'm sorry, let me get this quote right. 50% of men are definitely sure that despite no experience and no knowledge, they could land a 747 plane if they had to. <laughs> that was a real survey. 50% of men are like, yeah, what's the big deal? <laughs> it's just a Boeing Dreamliner. I don't see why this is an issue. 50% of men, 20% of women thought they could do it. I wonder if those same 50% of people are definitely sure that they know how to sleep train their kids and definitely sure that they know how to parent, definitely sure that they know how to succeed in marriage, definitely sure how to thrive in the workplace, definitely sure, and on and on and on. 
Well, I would like to say that this sermon is for both groups of people, those who feel like they don't have much to offer, and those who, given the right circumstances, are pretty sure they could save Christmas like John McClane. And uh, if you feel, that's from Die Hard, if it is a Christmas movie, if you fall into either of those categories, then this sermon is really for you. I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer here. Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Today we're just focusing on give us today our daily bread. You know, that word daily doesn't mean daily. So that's how we start today. (laughs) Daily doesn't mean daily. It's actually the Greek term is epiousios. It's a point of discussion among scholars because the term epiousios is a compound word, and it's from these two compounds, epi, meaning on or upon or over, and usia, meaning substance or being. And so essentially, you're talking about over substance or upon being, which doesn't really translate very well, does it? But not only is it a word that's a compound word made of these two seemingly things that have not much in common, it's actually a very rare word. In other words, it's not very common when you read extra biblical writing and you can say, well, look, I can read, you know, Plato and I can read the Iliad and I can read these different things from Greek literature and I can get a good understanding of what this word means. It's actually not very common. Well, the reason it's translated as daily is because when John Wycliffe and his team of translators in the 1300s were translating the Bible into English, this is about 100 years before the Tyndale English translation came out, they translated it as daily. And the Lord's Prayer is a really well-known portion of Scripture. And so right from the beginning, people started memorizing it in English, and by the time people memorize it, things get really kind of largely off-limits, don't they? And so daily has remained. And so if it doesn't mean daily, what does it mean? Well, scholars will debate it until the day is long, as is normal for scholars. Um, But most suggest something like necessary or essentials to convey a broader sense than just daily. But still, like essential bread, that doesn't really make much sense, does it? Well, that's because bread doesn't necessarily mean bread. And so daily doesn't mean daily, and bread doesn't necessarily mean bread, not because they got the word bread wrong, but because in biblical culture, bread really means a lot more than just bread, as we talked about briefly when we celebrated the Lord's Supper together. You see, bread in Middle Eastern culture, bread in biblical culture, isn't just a side dish that you serve alongside pasta Bread is a staple food. Bread is a staple dish. Bread is synonymous in literature and in the culture with provision. That's why Jesus says things like God gave you bread in the wilderness. He's referring to the fact that God provided for them in the wilderness. That bread was broken as a sign of hospitality. That if we were friends, if I invited you into my house and received you, I would break bread and give you bread. This is a sign that you are welcome into my home. 
as opposed to if you came in and I was like, I'm not going to give you any bread. And you're like, you said what? I said, no bread for you. And then this is, now this is offensive now. Bread is broken as a sign of hospitality. You have to remember that bread was used in ritual sacrifice. Bread, you actually would bring bread to the altar for certain sacrifices. That bread was used in festivals. Bread was used in religious feasts. That bread for the Hebrew people, and not just the Hebrew people. I mean, if you go to Afghanistan, you go to any culture, any country in the world besides the United States, the countries are proud of their bread even if it's not good bread, like Germany, okay? Like they're proud of their bread, even if it's not good. And so bread is a big deal all over the world. But in Israeli and Hebrew culture, it was also an important part of making a covenant, or we would say a contract. And so if we were gonna, for example, agree on an arranged marriage with our kids, um, and you were going to give me, you know, a bunch of gold for Emma or Eden. You know, we could talk about this stuff later if you want to. But, and we came to an agreement. We would mark that agreement by breaking bread and drinking wine together. And it would be like a, you know, an exclamation point on the covenant, on the contract that we just established. And so bread is significant to this people culturally. But you also have to remember this is an agrarian society. In other words, this is a farming culture. And so this society is entirely dependent on cycles of planting, growing, harvesting. And so we just go and we buy bread at the store. And so when we think daily bread, what we think is I have enough money in my pocket to go to Aldi and buy a loaf of bread. But for them, it was so much more than this. Because there's an entire yearly cycle connected to the creation of this cultural mainstay. So you think about Isaiah chapter 55. He says, as snow falls to the ground and gives bread to the oven, snow falls, it saturates the ground, the farmer throws the seed. He's th- That's a long time from snow to bread in the oven. But this is the, the Israeli, the Hebrew mind okay, of the importance of bread. And so to say that you're relying on God for your essential bread, for your daily bread, it's not just relying on God for bread. It's relying on God for snow, for the thaw, for rain, for sun, for seed, for safety and work, for a good harvest, for good weather during the harvest, for security from theft, for the ability to to harvest and to grind and all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot more in this than just daily bread. Though for our understanding, living in 2023, when most of you guys are probably not engaged in that process, a lot of you probably won't even eat bread anymore because you're watching your carbs, you know? You gotta get ready for baptisms. And um, a lot of you probably don't even think about daily bread. So what does daily bread mean? Well, daily bread, to put it simply, is to say, when I say, give us this day our daily bread, I'm essentially saying to God, I am completely and utterly dependent on you for everything. And I trust you in that area. 
You know, you have to remember that Jesus's listening audience here, they're dirt, they're dirt poor. They're dirt, dirt poor. That unlike modern economies where we have all kinds of safety nets, we rely on the government for these safety nets, that people in this context often faced greater uncertainty than we can imagine in the day-to-day living. If there's any of you who have traveled overseas uh, even a little bit or extensively, you know what it's like to see someone. I mean, we just, last time I was in Southeast Asia, we met a guy who fell off a roof 20 years ago, broke his arm, it wasn't set properly, and so now it's completely unusable because the break wasn't dealt with properly 20 years ago. So now he has an atrophied dead arm that can't be healed, essentially. And so this is, so what can he do? Nothing. He hasn't worked for 20 years. And so you, we are, are completely oblivious because we have so much security intertwined in our society. But economic stability then was fragile, and the possibility of not having enough was a very real concern, a very real concern. Think of it this way. You also have the same inabilities, you just, and myself as well, I'm not just picking on you. We are ignorant to how much inability we actually have. We have the tendency to assume we can actually handle these things, but, and yeah, maybe you're good at managing your money or whatever it might be, but I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't prevent your brain from having a brain aneurysm. You can't cause your lungs to pump oxygen. You can't continue to make your heart work you have no power over the weather. You have no control over whether China and Russia, who are currently preparing their nuclear test sites, are going to do something which would most assuredly start the most rapid arms race the world has ever experienced. Unless you have like an in on talking to Putin, you have no control over anything that happens in our world. It's just the illusion that you have control over what's happening in the world. The bottom line is you can't control whether your neighbor's dog will attack you when you go to get the mail tomorrow. We are entirely and completely reliant on Jesus because he holds all things together. And this should not give you anxiety. It should actually free you from anxiety. Because most anxiety comes when we, we buy into the false delusion that I actually have to hold these things together in my hands. To pray for your daily bread is to acknowledge this reality rather than living in ignorance or arrogance or soul-blistering anxiety and thinking it all depends on you. And so what's the point of praying Lord, give us this day our daily bread. What's the essence of it? It's to acknowledge you need God. Despite your success in your work, despite your current health, despite the fact that you are doing this or doing that or not doing this or not doing that, you need God. And when you pray an acknowledgement of the fact that I need God, then you get humbled. And so to pray, give us this day our daily bread, humbles you. Because if I am incapable, then that means that I actually need to pray and trust in God's provision. And if I don't think I need God, guess what? I won't pray. This is why Daniel Henderson, you guys have heard me say this quote before. Um, He runs a prayer ministry, former pastor. He says that our prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from God. 
The less you think you need God, the less you will pray, which is why when everybody's at gunpoint, they say, oh, God, help me, because all of a sudden they realize they need help. See, because if I am unable and incapable, if I realize that I am actually just made of dust and like a flower that's going to fade, I'm a mist, not a vapor, then that means that I need to trust God for the air in my lungs, the blood in my body, my food, my health, and I can't just think ignorantly that this all depends on me. I need to remember, God, I need you. Lord, I need you. And so to pray this prayer, to ask for God's help, is to acknowledge these things and humble yourself. But the truth is that beyond this, he doesn't just say, give me this day our daily bread. What does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. You see, as rugged Americans, we forget that we need community. Matter of fact, let me ask you a couple questions. Is it really necessary that every man in this room owns his own chainsaw? Are we so obsessed with rugged individualism that we despise the idea of needing someone else to help us? Would I rather hurt my back by lifting that thing by myself than ask for help? And the answer to all those questions is yes. That's what every man thought. Yes, I do need a chainsaw. I don't want to borrow your chainsaw. And yes, I want to do it by myself. And yes, if I have to hurt my back, because I insisted on trying to deadlift a Buick, so be it. See, we forget that this prayer is plural. It's our daily bread. And this underscores our own insufficiency, and it challenges the idea of our individualistic culture. It reminds us that we are not just to be concerned with ourselves, but we should also be concerned with our neighbor. Jesus broke bread with his friends because he loved them. He served his friends because he loved them. He gave them food. He washed their feet. He tells them to think of himself. He says, think of me every time you break bread. Not just when you're doing it together in this gathering with the church gathered, but to when you do it in your homes. See, the reality is that we need Jesus, but we also need one another. And that's hard for us as Americans to understand, we need one another. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, once again, we have a conscious desire or a conscious decision to humble ourselves. I can't do it alone. Even if it's just me and God, I need people. I am part of a body. The eye can't say to the knee, I don't need you that we need one another. And so the Lord's Prayer, specifically our daily bread, this reminds me of my frailty, my fragility, my sin, my desperation for God in all things. That the daily bread prayer is really about surrendering to the reality of who God is and who I am. And I need to surrender to those realities daily. John 15 summarizes it this way, apart from me, you can do nothing. Not apart from me, you can do a little bit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Even the things that you think you can do on your own, you're only able to do them because I'm currently empowering you to be able to do them. But that can be stripped away in a moment. And were it not just for God's grace, we would be like Nebuchadnezzar eating the grass of the ground thinking we're cows. 
that our lives are entirely in God's hands. Or as Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Why? Because he's my shepherd. He leads me to still waters. He leads me to green pastures to refresh my soul. Even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me, I lack nothing. His rod and his staff is with me, they comfort me, I lack nothing. He anoints my head with oil, I lack nothing. He does it in the presence of my enemies, I lack nothing. And even if I die, his goodness and mercy chase me all the way home, I lack nothing. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Not because my 401k is stable, but because the Lord is faithful. And so what does it look like to really apply the truth of daily bread? And I just want to read some of Jesus' teachings, not make a whole lot of comments, just, to, just really read this. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12. What does it look like when we pray this, when we surrender this? What does it look like practically? Just listen. Jesus says, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hair on your heads, they're all numbered, so don't be afraid. Verse seven, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. See, Jesus' instruction to pray for our daily bread underscores that we're desperate for him, but it also underscores this reality, we are valuable to him. That if he cares for the sparrows, then he cares for us. Verse 13, chapter 12, then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by what you own. See, the Lord's Prayer not just reminds us that we're desperate for God. It doesn't just remind us that we're valuable to Him. It also reminds us of what should be valuable to us. See, we live in a consumer-driven culture that thrives on creating dissatisfaction in your heart with marketing. If you only had, you are somehow less because you don't have. You are lacking because you need. You need to be more like but the Lord's prayer teaches us that the Lord is our shepherd and in him I have all that I need and that my life is not measured by what I own. And this frees me from the constant pursuit of more and more and more and more and it instills within me a fulfillment in my very soul because I can be satisfied with Jesus. Verse 16, then he told them a story. A rich man had a very fertile farm that produced fine crops and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. He said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, bro, my friend, you have enough stored for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. And God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, Jesus says in commentary, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Dependence on stuff instead of God is a dead end. But praying for our daily bread, it redirects our security from our savings and it redirects it to our savior so that we can say, 
yeah, I have this, like I've worked hard for this, I'm commanded to manage this well, but that's not my security. My security is in my Savior. That even if that gets stripped away, even if I die, even if everything falls apart, I'm safe and secure in the Savior's hands. Praying for our daily bread is about acknowledging that God is the ultimate source of fulfillment. He's the ultimate source of provision and that ultimately we just humble ourselves and acknowledge that reality. See, our culture promotes self-sufficiency and the belief that material possessions can provide you with happiness. But Jesus says, more importantly than that, you also. He doesn't say go be a monk. He says you need a rich relationship with God. And that's what Jesus purchased on the cross. Then verse 22, turning to his disciples, Jesus said, because you need a rich relationship with God, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Don't worry about whether you have enough food or enough clothes. Life is more than food. And your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food, but God takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the king, in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God takes care of the flowers that are here today and then tomorrow they're gonna be thrown into the fire, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so much, why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what you eat, what you drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers of the world, but your father knows what you need. Instead, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he'll give you everything. So don't be afraid, little flock. It is your father's great happiness. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. When we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, not ritualistically, but really from the depths of our heart, it reminds us to humble ourselves, to entrust our lives to his care, and to seek the king and his kingdom above all else, above your job, above your wealth, above your savings, above your very life. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. But if you hunger and thirst for all the other things of the, of the world, I'm gonna tell you a secret. Even when you get them, you won't be satisfied because that's not the promise. The promise is when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you'll be filled because you'll have more of Jesus. See, this isn't about trying to be a monk. This is about embracing eternal things over temporary things. It's focusing on what matters, which is the king, his kingdom, and his people, which is to live a life of love. It's to live a life of love towards God, a life of love towards one another. When we surrender and acknowledge our inability, it reminds us that life is fleeting, that we are weak, that we are dust, but Jesus is eternal, and that our neighbors and the people around us matter more than our stuff. 
We read it in the beginning of the service, but I'm gonna read it one more time. We'll be done here in two minutes. John 15 says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. In other words, he's saying, I'm not talking about this threat of cutting you off. That has nothing to do with you guys. That's what Jesus is saying. He says this, he says, remain in me. Remain in me and I in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches apart from me. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So why try it? Why try it? So how do we summarize this? Praying for our daily bread is consciously acknowledging and embracing dependence on God. That's what it really is. That if you said, well, what's this part of the prayer, Lord's Prayer all about? It has nothing to do with food. It's about surrender. It means you can't save yourself from your sins. It means you can't fix yourself in the process of sanctification. You can't bring yourself all the way home because you're so awesome at life and persevering to the end. You can't love the way God wants you to love. You can't do anything the way God wants you to do it. But in Christ, he's done it for you. And he says, just acknowledge your inability and let me run the show. Come to me every day and say once again, I can't do today without you. And you know what? I'm gonna have to come back in an hour and I'm gonna be like, I tried. I can't do without you. See, because in him we live and move and have our being. He holds all things together. All things exist for him and through him and by his will. And when we have this true sense of surrender, when we acknowledge who God truly is, how much he loves us, how his faithfulness stretches to the heavens, his love reaches to the skies, we have the strength to understand the love that he has for us, this indestructible love, that obliterates anxiety. We don't care if we keep up with the Joneses, if our Christmas lights out front look like theirs, right? You ever notice that? How one house looks baller, and then all of a sudden next year, every house on the block is like, I gotta put up some lights. Who cares? If your house looks great, I'm, I'm happy for you. <laughs> but it caused all of these things give peace to our soul. Because ultimately, we remember this truth. It is the Father's good pleasure. It's not his begrudging. It's not the fact that you twisted his arm because you finally didn't sin enough. No. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How awesome is that? That's the gospel, guys. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so here's your action step. Really simple. Consciously incorporate into your prayers a moment where you acknowledge this stuff, where you intentionally are surrendering that, you know, I love doing this through Psalm 23 or through the Lord's Prayer. You know, when I pray Psalms 20, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. God, I need you. Take some conscious moments to surrender to God, embracing an eternal perspective. Lord, I need you today. 
I can't live the life you want me to live. I need you to do it for me. I can't provide the way you want me to, to provide. I need you to do it for me. And when we actively surrender like that, the Lord is delighted, delighted to help us, okay? Let me leave you with one, with one more thing. I know I'm a couple minutes longer. I blame Breton. Um, I'm just kidding, Breton. Lord has given me all that I need, bro, in the form of two more minutes. Um, parents, we all know how hard it is when, it's, when we see our kids not need us in the same ways they needed us when they were younger. But it also gives you, as a parent, joy to help them, doesn't it? And there's like a mourning when your kids are like, no, I'm going to pick out my own outfit. And you're like, yeah, should you? Because that does not match. But when our kids ask us for help, and I don't mean like a needy way. I mean when, you're, when your seven-year-old asks you to help them tie their shoes because they're trying and they're struggling. It gives you great joy to help them. It gives the father great joy to help his children. That's what the psalmist says. He remembers our frame. He remembers that we're just made of dust. He's not wagging his finger at you because you're supposed to be a big boy by now. No, he knows what you're made of, dirt. And he says, man, I love to help you. And so let's remember that it's not weakness to surrender to him. It's actually just common sense. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray. You are our father and you've gone to great lengths to be called that. And you're holy. And you're seated in the heavens and we don't even know what that means. We try to understand it, but we really don't. God, you, one day you're gonna bring your kingdom back to earth. Lord, we pray you do it soon. And I pray that you would find us obeying you and doing your work so that we're not ashamed when you return, but we stand in the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. Lord, today we acknowledge we are completely incapable of this life. We are. And some days we have good days, and some days we have bad days, and some days we have days that we wish didn't exist. But all of those days, we need you. And so we acknowledge that this morning. Pray that you would help us to remember it today. And we pray that tomorrow when we wake up and our feet hit the floor, we would remember to pause and acknowledge God, I need you every moment. I need you. So Lord, we need you. We pray these things because you offered to help us and you showed it in the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. Amen.